Well, we're almost 30, gentlemen. It's episode 29 of the Rocktown Sports Podcast, Rockingham County's only all-local sports podcast, or so I keep telling myself till we all believe it. Uh, Jim Sacco, I'm now the host. I don't know if you you listened to the the Passing of the Torch episode last week with Greg and I, where Greg, with his walkthrough podcast, which is every Thursday during the football season, kind of told me that, uh, well, I got no more time for this, so you got to take it over. Uh, So here we are. I'm joined by Shane Metlin, JMU uh, basketball writer, plus a bunch of other JMU stuff uh, here at the DNR, and Cody Elliott. Uh, you all know him and love him as the preps uh, writer here at the Daily News. We'll start with Shane. Shane, first real quick, you got your first taste of Rockingham County Baseball League championship clinching action last night as a staff writer here at the Daily News Record when the Clover Hill Bucks uh, won game six to win the best of seven series against Bridgewater, uh, ending ending the, the Reds' two-year reign. Uh, just some feelings on watching that take place in front of you. It was fun. It was it was actually a pretty pretty fun night. Um, you know, those two teams, there's history between those clubs, basically, you know, being the teams that have kind of dominated this league for a while now. And, you know, I know Stuart Strauss kinda of had their moments too in recent years, but um there's that. There's Tyler Bocock going back and forth between the, the two teams. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any kind of animosity there, but you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, it's like when you spent plenty of time in the home dugout and now you're in the visitor's dugout, it's always kind of an interesting situation. And then he's the uh, three times in a row MVP of the championship series for two different teams. It's, yeah, it, 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 it makes it interesting. It was, you know, it was good night. I wish they would have got started on time so we wouldn't have been quite so close to deadline. But no, other than but that, it was it. good, yeah. Did you, I guess the big question I have for you is, did you have a fried country ham on homemade bread sandwich at Bridgewater? No, the concession stand also added to uh, the interesting – night because they were running out of things quickly last last night of the season you know how that goes they're running out of things quickly people were racing to try to get their dinner uh after a while they announced all they had left was desserts uh then later on Domino's showed up with some pizza so it it was it was (laughs) the the concession stand (laughs) added to the whole experience of the the rcbl championships ray Ray concession stand scraping the bottom of the barrel as the 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 season uh wound down now cody you can answer this i believe they're both at 18 titles yes uh, 18 titles now and that was kind of the storyline coming into the uh i mean obviously the third straight time they'd be playing each other for the the championship, league championship, and you know the other obvious being the the uh, the Tyler Bocock uh, switching of allegiances, if you will, from Bridgewater for the past two championship years now to Clover Hill. But they're both at eighteen now. I mean, was there any talk about you covered a little bit going into this this postseason? Was there any talk about Clover Hill wanting to match up with the eighteen? Well, I know when I talked to uh, Tyler Bocock earlier in the year for for a story I did on him, he talked about when he went to Bridgewater, their goal was to kind of reached Clover Hill and passed them, which they did with Bridgewater, obviously, the past two years. And then now, he, ironically enough, he ends up going back to um, to Clover Hill this year, and then they now are back even at 18. So, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what – I think Short Straff's third, and I think they have like six. So those two are far <laughs> and, and beyond above everyone else in that league right now. I wonder who's got the other ones. If this league's been in existence for, what, about 98 years? Who well, there, there's a lot of Linville's and, right. and Linville. all these teams that, you know, are no longer in the existence Fishers, on there. I don't think Fishersville. The Fishersville Rangers were, uh, I think, a three- or four-year team. I don't think they ever I don't think they game. ever had one. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of teams on there that are not even in existence anymore. Uh, well, let's switch gears now. Let's go a little JMU, and we'll go with the JMU men's basketball side. Shane, you had some, uh, well, I mean, some expected news just for the fact that 
the Dukes need the Dukes men's basketball program needed an assistant coach uh, when Summers left. Uh, they got their guy. Tell us about him. Yeah, um, Josh Oppenheimer, who is you know well respected name in basketball especially as a player development guy he hasn't been in college basketball for quite a while now so we'll see i guess where he fits in as far as recruiting goes kind of getting back into that side of things but as far as just somebody who's helped a lot of players get better um you know he's got kind of on the big bullet point on his resume is his time with the milwaukee bucks where they really credited him with um helping uh, the Greek freak, Giannis, let me try to pronounce it right, <laughs> I, I think of Pukuko. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that was close enough. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's close enough. Well, I always say Greek freak or Giannis, so, um, yeah, I, I avoid that one if I can. But, yeah, he got a lot of credit for really helping him develop into kind of a raw, young, rookie, second-year player to be in the MVP of the NBA this year. Um, so, you know, I think they're pretty excited about that. And he obviously had some JMU connections with his daughter playing for the JMU women's team. I think that kind of made coming to Harrisonburg pretty intriguing for him. You know, when a lot of assistant coaches leave, the, the head coach usually, you know, it's just a quick tweet, you know, thanks to, you know, Joe Blow, assistant coach for his five years here. Best of luck in the future. But 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 Lewis Rose, uh, his tweet when, when, when Summers left seemed really, I mean, you could tell they were tight. I mean, it was really from a, you know, I don't want to get too schmaltzy with it, but I mean, it, it was, it was just a very emotional, it looked like a very emotionally laden tweet of, you know, this is my best friend, this is my buddy, we've been together for all these years. I mean, what is, I mean, that's that's got to be a tough person to replace when you have that connection uh, that, that Lou, Lewis and, and, uh, and Summers had. Yeah, it is. And beyond that, I really believe Rob Summers is kind of a rising star just in the coaching ranks. He's he's really good with the big men. Um, he's a good recruiter. I think he, he's a guy who you're going to see him working at a high major program, whether as an assistant coach or maybe you know someday being a head coach at some level. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But he's a name people are going to know if they're big college basketball fans. I, I really believe that. Um, and you're right. They were close. They were tight. Um, he was tight with a lot of players. He recruited you know Deshaun Parker you know, Rob's an Ohio guy. He recruited him out of Ohio. So he's really, you know, tight with him, especially among players on the team. Um, so yeah, it, it's a tough loss, but it's a situation where he's going back to his home state, home area. Uh, he's even going to be in the same city as his mentor from college. Uh, he played for, you know, John Beeline at West Virginia, who's now the coach of the Cavs. So, you know, they're going to be in the same city. It, you understand why he was, you know, making that move, but you know, I don't think anybody was, you know, particularly excited about it happening or, you know, he, he, you know, he's excited to move on, but, you know, he also, you know, you, you've been through it before. We've all been through it before. You leave a job, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, just happy to move on. You, you have some mixed emotions about it. And I think that's kind of the situation here. And there's a reason why you, you, you know, in that job, you moved on and it seemed like, you know, summer's made, you know, for him the right choice. I yeah. It's, it gets him close to an area of familiarity. It gets him with, you know, some of his mentors, or at least his mentor, and it looks like probably in the long run, you know, not that staying at JMU wouldn't have been a, you know, you know, a bad move. It would have been, you mm -hmm. know, this is, seems like if you're going to choose between a neutral and a good move, this seems like a good move for him. Yeah, both coaches, they lost this offseason. You know, Tim Johnson, he went down to Furman. It was a case of both guys going back to places where 
their family is really close by. In, in Tim's case, it's his wife's family down there in South Carolina, and you know they're having another kid, so it makes a lot of sense for them to kind of you know get back down in that area, especially when you know the life of a college basketball coach you're on the road a lot. It all makes a lot of sense to be close to family if you can. What does this mean for the big men uh, on the Dukes? I mean, with, with with Summers working that good or was working that well with them. I mean, what does this kind of you know mean for that inside presence coming up? Yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of wait and see. Um, he definitely was the big man coach, but you know they bring in Josh Oppenheimer, who just in general is really known as a player development kind of guy, um, kind of a shot guru kind of guy. So he might work a little more with the guards, but just in general, I think he's going to be somebody who helps players get better and then they'll have another spot to fill whether they go for a guy who is more of a big man guy who played in the post himself kind of have to wait and see on that but um you know you never know you see the kind of jump that a guy like Dwight Wilson made from his freshman year to his sophomore year I think you got to give you know Rob Summers a lot of credit for that so you'll see how things go in that regard just may we may not know until the season starts we see how much guys have progressed. We may not know for a couple of years until we see how they work with other people. Cody, uh, we're, uh, man, I mean, we're, we're basically a, a week and three days away from the high school football season. And I'm really, really intrigued by that, that tweet you sent out earlier today, which was basically a quote from Thurman, uh, Harrisburg high school, uh, nine year Harrisburg high school football coach, Chris Thurman, just kind of talking about how, you know, he doesn't, you know, they're almost like they're the great unknown, and he's excited by this. I mean, this is a guy that's been doing this for, you know, I think I, I think twenty some odd years. I mean, with the amount mm-hmm. of talent that he's coached and a lot of Division One players he sent off. I mean, there there seems to be this sense of excitement with this this sage like veteran coach over at Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just been, you know, when you have a team that, that that's that young, I mean, they they work hard, they're doing all the little things. Um, you know, he he came into Harrisonburg the year after Tim Sarver took that team to the state championship game and I think, you know, naturally ever since and there's kind of been expectations every year for this Harrisonburg team. Um, they've always had, you know, the big names, the Michael Holmes, um, you know, the Devin Medleys, the Marcus Robinson Jenkins. And this year, it's more of just, you know, names that outside of Quentin Smiley, you don't really know a lot of the names. I mean, Quentin Smiley comes back as the quarterback as the Valley District Offensive Player of the Year. And then outside of that, it's just a lot of names that haven't really, you know, got a lot of shine before. And I think they've come in and they've kind of put their hard hat on and went to work. And that's something that, you know, excites Chris Thurman and excites him about the possibilities of the team this year. I mean, is 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 Smiley going to be locked into the quarterback position? I mean, is that is that a is that a given? Has that been said? Is he going to be under center? Or are they going to turn him into, you know, basically? Hey, this guy's going to be everywhere. Find him. Well, it's funny because the first day of practice, when I talked to Thurman, he was kind of worried about Smiley with his shoulder and didn't know, you know, how he was going to be able to throw. And and he talked about how fast he was and different things like that. But when I spoke to him again, you know, just a few days ago, he he talked about how. You know, he kind of joked. He said that maybe he should just start, start letting his quarterbacks not throw the entire offseason because, because Smiley has come into camp and apparently he's throwing it 25 yards further. Um, he, he's, he's a second or a, a tenth of a second faster than he was last year in the 40. Um, so he's just improved in all areas. And, and you know, according to Thurman right now, he's his guy and he, and he says he's looked really good throughout the preseason. And that was the big question mark coming into camp was was Smiley's arm strength because there was no – no one was doubting his foot speed last year. No one was doubting his ability to make plays. What I think everyone was kind of doubting was, or was saying was, if this guy can just throw a tighter spiral, you know, goodness gracious, Harrisburg has the, the, the prototypical, 
you know, dual threat quarterback. So, I mean, I guess if you're seeing him throwing 25 yards farther, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's got to bode well for that Harrisburg squad. Well, yeah, and I think another key is, is, and I wrote this in my story today, was about how he said that things have just slowed down for him. Quentin did. He said that, you know, last year when he got thrown in there, everything kind of felt really fast. Um, it was his first year starting on the varsity level. And he said things just went really, really fast for him, and, it, and sometimes it was hard for him to kind of grasp it all. And this year he said things have slowed down. He's able to read through the defense a lot easier. And I think it's obviously resulted in, in him playing a lot better throughout the preseason, and I think that's what's exciting both him and Thurman. Uh, you went and saw Broadway East Rock. Yes, scrimmage. Yes, That's... originally on Thursday, um, Broadway ran three plays, and then they ended up getting uh, postponed because of lightning. So they ended up moving it to Saturday morning, and, and they they played it then. So you got up on a Saturday morning. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things Danny uh, Grog, first year Broadway coach, uh, has said all po- all excuse me all preseason is that. You know that's a, that's that that team isn't married to any particular style of offense. They're basically going to go with what they figure out works for them. What did you see in that scrimmage? Were they throwing more? Were they passing more? Were they, or were they throwing more? Were they running more? Or were they mixing it up? What were they doing out there offensively more than? the other one well they're mixing it up for sure right now and i think they're they're really just trying to build that identity right now especially with him being in his first year um the, the biggest struggle for them against east rock was their offensive line um you know just even on the three plays on thursday uh they ran three plays and all three plays went for negative yardage so it wasn't really the start that they were looking for the offensive line really was struggling um you know there's guys like brent holse and some of those guys on that defensive line that right now aren't playing on offense because danny grog was hoping to run that two platoon system similar to what East Rock has um, right now, it, he's even it said that he might not be able to do that depending on how much you know. Unless these guys progress throughout the preseason, there's some young guys. Um, it reminds me a lot of about two two years ago when Broadway had that really young offensive line, and we kind of watched them grow up and get better throughout the years. Um, that team this year is really young on the offensive line, and right now Caleb Williams still isn't cleared to return. So with Cole Hoover, a sophomore at quarterback. Um, you want guys up there that are going to protect him. And, you know, they're not going to be able to run the ball or even protect Cole to throw it at this point if they can't get good offensive line play. So I think that's where it all starts and where they're trying to focus that right now. Uh, Danny Grog was one of the people who uh, was the main person who let us know, don't, you know, despite of everything they lost, do not sleep on Donnie Coleman and the East Rockingham Eagles. Uh, what what did you see offensively from that team, or was it more uh, of a defensive maybe shift towards the you know that you saw out there? I mean, I mean, I think offensively they still got plenty of weapons, especially to compete in the Bull Run District. I think there's no reason to believe they can't you know compete for a district title there. Um, but defensively, I'm still just very impressed, especially with those linebackers. I think you know we talk a lot about the spots of linebackers with Ben Conahan and Cole Myers, but. You know, East Rock, they, they have quite well, quite the duo themselves there with uh, Trenton Morris and Colton Dean, um, both of those guys, two seniors, two guys who have played a lot of snaps over the years, and two guys who really just like to get out, get after the ball. It seemed like every tackle, you know, they were right, right around the ball every single play. So um, I expect a big year out of those guys and out of that defense as a whole. I mean, they've just steadily been progressing throughout the years under Kyle Gillenwater, and I think you're going to continue to kind of see that this year. It seems like when I was talking to Donnie Coleman about it last week was just, you know, it's kind of a new attitude there. You know, it used to be East Rock was known for putting up points, putting up 30, 40 points a game. Um, they just weren't able to stop anybody. And then he, he said it was kind of like a switch. You know, they just decided, hey, let's try and stop the offense in practice too. And now they're able to do so. And I think that's why you saw a team last year that was so good on both sides of the ball. Is that is Gillenwater probably the most unheralded? Uh, assistant coaching pickup in the last three years in the city county. I mean, former JMU assistant, 
you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, jumps in there, starts coaching the defense, and then you just saw this immediate switch from the days where they were putting up, and they were still putting up points last year. Right. But when you know when it was Butler and and, uh, and McNair the Elder show. I mean, they were just outscoring people, and it seems like since Gillenwald got there, while they're still outscoring people, they're not putting a lot of points on the board. They're not letting the other team put a lot of points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been huge for them, and Donnie Coleman, is, he always mentions him first when I talk to him about it. And I think another big key for East Rock is they've got got enough coaches where they've got three or four other assistants as well besides Gillenwater that, that focus specifically on the defense and, and you know, not – not trying to balance two different sides of the ball and in different positions, which is a huge advantage at the high school level where you have a lot of coaches trying to do both. So he's got three or four assistants who, who their main priority is just focusing on defense. And, you know, it's paid off the last couple of years. I guess my last question for you is, you know, East Rock last year was able to platoon. They had enough players out there. Broadway had the hopes and dreams of platooning. <laughs> Uh, I guess from the East Rock standpoint, are you kind of seeing, the, or at least in that one, you know, you, hey, you went to one scrimmage, tell me everything you know. Uh, but, I mean, right. you know, <laughs> at the, what you saw at that scrimmage, I mean, were you seeing players get tired? Were you seeing maybe the, the platoon, the lack of being able to platoon for the first time in a year might take a toll at some point? No, I don't think so. I think in, in high school football, especially around this area, you're going to see – players playing two ways more often than not you know most teams have to do that um you know you want your best players on the field East Rock just had a very special situation the past couple years with that senior class where they were able to do that with so many guys um you look at spots with this year they look like a team that could maybe do that um but I still think you know they've got guys who are still going to play both ways even with 20 seniors on their roster so um I just think East Rock was in a special situation the past couple years um and they've got guys this year that that Donnie Coleman has said they're they're going to have to play both ways and um, I don't think ultimately I think those guys are built for that. I don't see it being too much of an issue. It might be an adjustment at first maybe, and I think that's probably going on throughout the preseason more than anything. I think, you know, once the time the games start, I think, you know, you won't notice a big difference overall. And, and is platooning a, somewhere Broadway can eventually get, or are they just – is that just a non-issue now and they're just going to have to worry about going both ways? Well, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's with the numbers increasing like they have been already, you would think eventually they could get there. I mean, I think it's one of those things they're just so young. Um, if, if those players that they were trying to – two platoon with right now or older I think that's definitely more realistic um but you know when you can't just throw guys in there and expect them to perform you've you've still got to put the the guys out there that perform the best so um eventually maybe you know I think their numbers are increasing as we've seen throughout the preseason and as uh, the more they grow I think the more realistic that possibility is two of the biggest surprises while we're you know Cody and I have been kind of typing up the rosters for the uh the uh, the football tab which comes out uh, August 30th so before you go out to your games you can go out there grab a copy and read it uh, is the two surprises for me is this, how big Broadway's roster is this year. And I don't want to say small, but how TAs is lacking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that's um, kind of a sign of just where the programs are right now. And Chris Frazier has, has talked about that. He, he said that if the team wins more games, that they can get more players out. And they did actually bring some newcomers on this year. Um, you know, Nico, Nico Val, who was a big basketball player for them, um, he returns after taking a year off. There are several other defensive linemen that are back after taking a year off. So they've got some of those guys back, but he's even said, you know, they've got to win more games, get some of those kids out of the halls who are, who are kind of sitting there thinking, you know, I don't really want to be part of a two-win team. Um, you know, if they get up to four or five, even six wins, you know, that changes the, the perspective of that program. And then, you know, when you look at Broadway, I think, you know, that's just a product of Danny Grog and, and the social media and the, and the, and the hype videos and all the, all the energy he's brought around that program. It, it's brought a, a, a different kind of um, enthusiasm to the program. And, you know, it's, I think it's paid off with, with higher numbers this year. 
Well, Cody, thanks for joining us. You got it's not all football though. I mean, as we're working on this football tab, you got a volleyball st- story coming in uh, Wednesday's paper on Spotswood, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. And you've had a few other volleyball stories, which is a segue, ladies and gentlemen, as we bring Shane back in. Uh, and uh, Shane, uh, you talked to t- today is Tuesday. You talked to a few co- well, the coach and a couple players, I'd imagine, from uh, James Madison volleyball. Um, I talked to the coach so far, yeah. But, uh. Uh, twenty-two and seven <laughs> overall last year, thirteen and three in the CAA, and uh, you know they got a, a nifty little schedule coming up. I mean, they they exhibition against Virginia Tech, you know, uh, but then they got number twenty-two Washington State in town for their tournament, the JMU Invitational, and uh, it just keeps getting better from there. I mean, this team is not, you know, tiptoeing around uh, its schedule, is it? Yeah, that was really kind of the. Uh the theme of the conversation I had with Lauren Steinbrecher is that they always schedule pretty aggressively, but she says she usually has two to three to maybe even four or five game matches on the schedule that feel like, yeah, if we even just show up to play, we're going to win this one. We're going to get a few wins. We're going to get some younger players in to get some experience. She says they don't have it on the schedule this year. Every single team in the non-conference is expected to challenge for their conference title. She said, with the probable exception of Iowa, and the only reason for that is that there are five Big Ten teams ranked in the top ten nationally. (laughs) So, I mean... (laughs) What are you going to do at that point? So, it's not that Iowa... Iowa might be the second best team on their schedule, but, you know, they're they're the one that's not really in competition for a league championship just because they're playing in the best conference in college volleyball right now. Chip on this team's shoulder? I mean... It's a team that ran through the regular season and lost in the tournament. Uh, I think they lost to yeah they lost to Hofstra three to two. Uh, I mean, is there a chip on the squad shoulder? I mean, they were kind of expected to last year to do the same thing they did in twenty seventeen. Yeah, I mean, they want to be CAA champs. They want to play in the NCAA tournament. It's you know kind of a common theme just around JMU athletics when you pick you your know, sport any sport. Yeah, you know? That, you know that you know the success this athletic department has had in the CAA. Almost every team on campus, that's the goal, is to win the conference championship. And the expectation is to do that. And it's no different for volleyball. Um, you know, like you said, they had a really good regular season last year. Um, but when you're in a mid-major conference, nothing's really guaranteed for you, despite your great regular season. Yeah. And so, yeah, they want to see that. women's basketball. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the situation there, and they returned three really quality seniors who are kind of you know what they're building around. You know, in particular, Michaela White, who's you know the six four. You know, just that's a name you heard. If you you know, that's a name you heard a lot last year when you get those emails mm-hmm. from the athletic department saying you know led the way with twenty three kills and fifteen mm-hmm. blocks. It was Michaela White, or it was uh, oh the, the 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 Carolina. Yeah, yeah, Carolina Hurricanes, Brindamore, yes. Yeah, Briley Brindamore and yes. Sarah Martin. Those are the three returning seniors who, you know, they know what they're getting out of those three. They know that they're going to be on the court almost all the time. They're, you know, basically flawless out there. They, they know what to expect from them. They're the reason there's high expectations for this team. Uh, and, you know, what I've heard is that, you know, Michaela White, as good as she was last year, that she's really had a productive offseason. She went to California and was part of the USA Volleyball squad who basically they worked with the – they were there to compete against the national team. 
Okay. It was really there. There are a few different uh, versions of the lower age group teams that play for USA Volleyball. Some of them go and compete nationally. She was part of the group that was just there in Anaheim, basically getting the real national team ready for their international competitions. And so she was playing against, you know, some of the best players in the world all summer. And sounds like more than held her own, learned a few things, came back, you know, just really ready to get going this season. And like I said, they get started, you know, right away they'll be put to the test. They play number 22, Washington State. Um, and then after their own tournament, yeah. they're off to the High Point Classic, Kennesaw State, Furman, High Point. And then after that, they're down, I mean, this three-week stretch. And after that, down at the Gator Invitational, Long Beach State, Florida, USF. I mean, it just, you know, bada-bing, bada-bing, bada-boom. Uh, well, so they start off on the 30th, the first night of Friday, the first night of high school football. I remember that. Volleyball yeah. always kicks off. Uh Shane, anything else to add on what you got going on out there? Uh, no, I'm going to be seeing some Bridgewater football and uh, be on that beat here for the fall, which, you know, you know, Jim, but uh, <laughs> anybody else who's looking to uh, read some Bridgewater football stories, they can, uh, you know, search for my stuff online. Follow Shane on the Twitters and look for him online. Uh, thanks for joining us, Shane, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, we will see you guys next week, where I'm sure we'll be talking a whole heck of a lot more football, both on – JMU and the high school side and probably the Bridgewater side as the season gets ready to start. Until next time, this is the Rocktown Sports Pod, and I'm your host, Jim Saka.